You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. And we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben Things didn't totally go Paul Felder's way on Saturday night out there against uh, Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event of this UFC fight night from the Apex Arena in Las Vegas. But among other things, I think we'll talk about uh, coming up in this show is whether or not Paul Felder's choice to go in on short notice and fight Dos Anjos uh, paid off perhaps in other ways. What was your uh, initial reaction here? I guess not only from... uh, this Paul Felder, Javier Dos Anjos fight, but also the entire card that we saw Saturday night from the Apex. Yeah, by the time we got this card from the Apex on Saturday night, a little bit of a skeleton crew at work. Kind of a short card, got over with pretty quickly. You know, I'm not going to sit over here and complain about a fight card that ends by 8.30 p.m. in the one true time zone. But uh, I'll just say this. Woe be unto any motherfucker out there missing weight when Paul Felder's around because he is going to show up afterwards with his face all cut up, blood, all types of blood coming out of his head, God. And he's going to tell you that he stepped in there on five days notice, hadn't set foot in an MMA gym in four months and made weight. Get your shit together was, I believe, the takeaway message from your dude, your dude, Paul Felder. Yeah. He was he was in his post fight interview talking about how Thursday night was uh, one of the darkest times of his life, and we were all sitting at, we were all sitting at home thinking same, uh, <laughs> and but we weren't even cutting any weight. So see, that, I talked to him on Thursday afternoon. Okay, and, so now I understand why it was one of the darkest times of his life. <laughs> you know, he was a good interview as he always is, and uh, interesting conversation, everything. But I did get off the phone and go, man. That dude sounds a little bit drained. That guy sounds like he's going through it right now. So yeah, it's, it's the worst time to try to interview a fighter, kind of like right at the end of the weight cut. That's yeah. that's the slot you, do, you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, he still was a good interview even during that. But he, you could hear it in his voice where it's like that. That's a dude who needs a, a glass of water and a sandwich and he's not going to get either for a little while. <laughs> but hopefully now he can... Uh, have as many sandwiches as he wants for a while. Uh, exciting times, Ben, over at the Co-Main Event Podcast Patreon right now. We just started our famous film director retrospective about the works of Ted Kotcheff. Last week's movie club about First Blood, the initial Rambo movie, is, uh, I think, already an all-time favorite among the kids over there at the uh, at the Patreon. This week, we're going to be watching another Ted Kotcheff movie. We're shifting gears emotionally, tonally, and uh, we'll be watching Weekend at Bernie's. So we are all... <laughs> I still can't... Just, just listen to it. It makes me laugh, Chad. Every time I say Weekend at Bernie's, it, it cracks you up. It's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll probably have that out on Thursday. Of course, day before that, on Wednesday, we'll have the live chat. And then Friday, the power hour setting the table for uh, this weekend's UFC 255 card. So that should be... A lot of fun all week long. If you want to get down with the team over there, go to patreon.com slash co-main event. You can join at any one of three very convenient patronage tiers to get uh, a sampling of the offerings over there. We got music this week from our old friend, The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more on Twitter at The Fifth Element. Facebook.com slash the fifth element, soundcloud.com slash the fifth element official. And of course, as you guys know, that's the word the with an A, the fifth element. Three rounds as usual this week in the co main event podcast. And round number one, as we just talked about, Paul Felder didn't win, but did his de- decision to take a short notice fight against Rafael Dos Anjos pay off anyway? And in round number two, have you guys been watching the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix? Because you guys should really be watching the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix. You know, if you can figure out how. And in round number three, this Saturday's UFC 255 has two title fights and is still kind of ass. 
why they do that all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail first piece of listener mail this week are you going into listener mail blind here i just as we record this i i uh i realized maybe i didn't send you the yeah. listener mail today no, I'm, I'm flying blind on this one to let everybody behind the curtain a little bit just to let them know how committed we are to pumping out a co-main event podcast proper each week we had a little bit of a shake-up a little bit of last minute shake-up this week when uh i was informed by the school that one of my daughters had a COVID positive in her classroom. And so therefore she qualified as a close contact who had potentially been exposed. So that throws the household into a bit of a tizzy there at the last minute. And we had to, to shuffle some things around and yet we're here. We're still doing this. This is my version of the Paul Felder speech. All you other podcasters say. out there where, you know, you, you, you got to take your, your cat to the vet or like you, you rip your bathrobe or something and you can't make it and you, you call off your podcast episode that week. Get your rip shit together. Your bathrobe? Rip your bathrobe? You, you stub a- your toe coming out of your mom's basement. <laughs> Get your shit together. The co of a podcast can still put out an episode. Suddenly, I feel like I'm co-hosting this show with Dana White for a second. Do there. you want to be a fucking podcaster? So, okay. This is our version of Paul Felder cutting that weight on Thursday night. First question from Neil in Northern Ireland. He writes, I've seen Andrew Yang recently posting a lot about WWE's contract with their performers and what a Joe Biden presidency might mean for them and how Yang wants to crack down on WWE with UFC operating a somewhat similar structure for their quote, independent contractors as WWE. Is this also likely to cause changes to how UFC works with their talent? Could this presidency somewhat uh, ironically work in favor of all those fighters who were busy campaigning for Trump. Uh, this is an interesting question and the one we've talked about a little bit on the show before, but just sort of about how uh, now that uh, the man occupying the White House here in a couple months won't be a personal friend of of the UFC brass and we, we don't know how or if at all that will uh, affect any pending legislation here, whether it be Ali Act expansion into MMA or anything else, we just can't say. I, I mean, I think that there you that there's reason to be cautiously optimistic that there might be some manner of legislation that might, at some point, help you know end up helping out fighters. But I also think that you know just knocking on wood and assuming everything goes according to the constitution headed into January 20th Ben the, the incoming administration is going to have a lot on its plate as will uh the incoming congress we still don't know exactly uh what control of the senate will look like as we open up our next session here but uh I, I don't i mean i assume that they will they will have other things to do and i couldn't sit here right now and tell you that uh you know, independent contractor versus full-time employee status for anyone, let alone WWE wrestlers and UFC fighters will be at the top of or on the agenda for some time. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a few other things going on with everything that's going on trademark. It might be a while before we get around to addressing the status of professional wrestlers and professional mixed martial artists. But I don't know. I mean, I do think it, it does, it's at least worth considering how things might be different for the UFC without a close personal friend of Dana White in the White House. Especially for me, the thing that stands out was what happened with Leslie Smith's case in front of the National Labor Review Board. Because that was something where it seemed like a, a decision was made in favor of Leslie Smith. Things were going to move ahead there. And then they just suddenly ground to a halt and like it was just pushed into an abyss. And that seemed like somebody calling in a political favor because there was no good explanation for what happened there and why that, that thing just suddenly halted. Uh, now, again, it's still a long way from something like that to something that would force the USC to change any sort of its business practices or how it classifies fighters or any of that kind of stuff. Like a lot of dominoes still to fall there. But it at least is removing one of the major barriers. The same thing we used to say about all the expansion act efforts was, Hey, if you get it through Congress and onto the president's desk, what are the chances that Dana White just calls up that president as long as he's Donald Trump and says, how about get the old veto stamp out for your boy? And then it doesn't matter what you did up until that point. You you take that piece away and potentially add someone who actually cares about this shit and Andrew Yang and who can be a voice for it. 
then I do think that there is a potential for something like that to happen. But it's going to be down the road. It's not going to be day one Biden administration stuff. Yeah. Uh, I might, if I were interested in, in you know, the fate of independent contractors over in, in MMA, I might still keep most of my focus on the class action lawsuit that is inching its way through uh, the courts in Nevada right now. That's probably the place where there's the biggest chance that, that some uh, tectonic shift could occur. Um, but it could also come from the government. I don't know. We'll have to, we'll just have to wait and see. Next question this week comes to us from Ollie Brown, who writes, despite everything that's going on in the there world, in quotes, uh, 2020 will be remembered as the year that Aaron Pico figured it out. Now, Ben, we talked about this little a little bit on Friday over at the Patreon page on the Power Hour. The fact that Aaron Pico made Don, John DeJesus do that gangster lean at Bellator 252 last Thursday en route to a second round TKO. That would be Aaron Pico's third stoppage victory in a row. All of them coming in 2020, putting an awful lot of distance between himself and that kind of train wreck 2019 where he lost two in a row to Henry Corrales and Adam Borich. So uh, he's advanced to the overall professional record, has Aaron Pico at this point to seven and three. He's won three in a row for Bellator. And as we talked about last Friday, it kind of seems like we've gone through these different phases of the Aaron Pico career where he started out with a lot of hype. He came in, obviously, as a very highly touted prospect. He lost his his um, his debut. He matched him up with Zach Freeman, who was who was pretty experienced comparatively speaking to Aaron Pico at that point. He immediately drops to featherweight, wins four in a row, but then comes up uh, on this tough stretch against Corrales and Boric, and we start thinking, uh oh, we rushed Aaron Pico a little bit too fast. Time to pump the brakes here. Time to put the man on some prelims and give him some people that he might be able to get a little experience against. Now, however, as I said, ten overall professional fights for. Uh, Pico, he won three in a row, seven and three overall. Does it feel to you like we need to reevaluate once a more, once more, and like maybe it's time that uh, you know Pico, we go back to we 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 segue back to phase one a little bit with Aaron Pico here, and maybe maybe start finding him some tougher challenges. First of all, I do need to know since I can't see the actual email. Is this an email question from former Major League Baseball player Ollie Downtown Brown? It would it would seem so. Okay. Yes. Naturally, should have figured. Um, second of all, yeah. I mean, 2020 being the year he figured it out, he has gone 3-0 in 2020, hasn't even heard the words round three in 2020, finishes uh, all three of his fights inside the distance here. It does seem, though, like you get to the point now where the the level of competition is going to have to be ratcheted up again, and we're going to wait to see what happens there. Because uh, so far, it seems like Aaron Pico's career has been one of just such wildly fluctuating expectations and then leaps to conclusions. And to some extent, that's really not fair, you know, but it's also sort of inevitable when you call the guy a big deal before he's ever had a pro fight, then that's the kind of thing that happens. And we, as we said on the power hour, there are worse things that could happen to a pro fighter. Plenty of people would love to have their big problem be that people expect them to be awesome. And, you know, that the people care about them before there's really on the wins and loss record a solid reason to care about them. But that said, I mean, the version of him we saw most recently, not just in that he made him do the gangsta lean, but also he seems like he is fired up and has used his ups and downs in that's some kind of a positive way, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's at least an impression that I came away with that. That's a guy walking around with a chip on his shoulder and he's trying to use it to motivate himself. And he, and, and he is like, he he's, he's putting it to some good use as much as he can. I don't know that that's a little bit of an encouraging sign, but again, we're going to have to see how he does against some PDU, some people with Wikipedia pages. Yeah, that's a good point. At the, you know, one of the things I wonder at this point is, you know, just because we made Aaron Pico such a big deal back in 2017, 2018, when, when he was just getting his legs under him as a mixed martial artist, I wonder at this point what it would take for us to even feel like once it was all said and done, Aaron Pico had lived up to the hype. Yeah. Like, does Aaron Pico have to become Bellator champ? Does yes. he have to cross the aisle to the UFC at some point and be like a contender or, or a top level a uh, guy, a guy who can vie for the title or even the champion before we would look at what he has done and, and, and nod and say, that'll do Pico. 
I don't know if he has to cross the aisle to the UFC, but I think in order for us to be like, yeah, he, this guy was worth all the hype they put on him so early on, I, I would say he has to become at least Bellator champion. Next question this week comes to us from Tracy Dickinson. It's Tracy time. Tracy time. We, we were quite often talking about when referees mess up, she writes, but can we take a minute to talk about the great job that Jason Herzog consistently does? I can't remember hearing about any controversy when he's refing. He handled an extremely weird situation with the case of the missing mouth guard during uh, the Murano uh, McKee fight with the extreme efficiency and noticed the octagon door wasn't locked immediately following finding said mouth guard, which helped ensure no weird shit happened. Once the fight resumed, the man is a consummate professional. I also follow him on Twitter and he has a delightful sense of humor. I I guess I really don't have a question with all of the negativity we hear about refs. I thought it would be nice uh, as a change of pace to have a moment of appreciation for a job well done. Now, Ben, I was actually surprised when we did the, fighter survey for the athletic earlier this year how many fighters that i talked to first and foremost mentioned jason herzog as the best ref in mma he's kind of like uh he's the referee's referee or the fighter's referee i guess you could say like a guy who is just very solid does his job uh consistently professionally hardly ever has a high profile screw up and i guess maybe the thing that i'm trying to say here most of all is like if you are a referee a sign that you are doing a really good job is if no one ever talks about you yeah and maybe that's jason herzog man just out there steady eddie doing his thing week in and week out and doing it very well yeah you know and uh, it's a good point that jason herzog does do a consistently a good job which is why we don't end up talking about it. I mean, tracy's kind of dooming him here by even just bringing it up some some weird shit is going to befall him and that then we're all going to look back on this but for one thing you think sometimes that you've seen it all in this sport don't you and then somebody loses his mouthpiece and it's like it fell into the goddamn Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. And we spent a long time looking for that mouthpiece and trying to figure out what to do there. And you go, oh, yeah. No, this sport can still surprise you with its theater of the bizarre. But as as well as anybody could handle that, I think Jason Herzog handled it. And just in general, you, you see him. He always seems like he is in total control in there. He's not guessing about what the rules say to do next. He's not doing the thing that referees often do where – Hey, if I could just restart the action as soon as possible, let's move past whatever weird shit might be happening. Like he, he is doing a just generally all around solid job. And it's so tough to do, especially because you just never know what kind of circumstances you're going to be dealing with in there. And the, the mystery of the missing mouthpiece is kind of proves that point. Yeah, man. I remember interviewing John McCarthy about Stoolgate, uh, you know, yeah. Romero, Tim Kennedy. And, uh, I just remember him telling the story and it kind of dawning on me, like even a dude like big John, who's been in the game, you know, 20 years or something at that point, still encounters basically on live television, uh, these situations that you know, you can't really prepare for. And they are all happening in real time. And in the case of that one happening in between rounds where like, uh, the time that you have to sort it all out is very, very limited. And he's like, he's basically trying to do like six things at once. He's trying to wrangle Tim Kennedy. He's trying to get a cut man to come in the octagon and wipe this big gob of Vaseline off Yoel Romero's forehead. Uh, he's trying to get the the corner to get the stool out of the octagon. He's trying to get Yoel Romero up. It's like, I think we consistently underestimate how hard a job this is, even for the 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 highest level professionals and the fact that Jason Herzog mostly handles everything with a quiet efficiency, I guess I would say, I think really speaks to his, his talent, his level of, uh, of, uh, you know, execution, I guess, as a referee. Do you think that he would get more respect as a referee if he had some kind of like modifier nickname kind of thing? Like big John McCarthy, like, and he's not like a, he's not a big guy. He's not a small guy. Like he just, what, what can you, what can we do there for Jason Herzog? Medium Jason Herzog. You know what? We'll work on it. We'll say, we'll put that down in the maybe category. Slim, Slim Herzog. Okay. That's not bad. Slim. I li- like, like some kind of old timey cowboy gunfighter. I like it. 
Next question this week comes to us from Brad Vickers, who writes, the very okay UFC event left me with some cough, cough downtime. Uh, what is your go-to garbage snack for binge watching something like a fight night? Is there anything special that you hide from your wife and kids? Okay, good to hear from major supporting protagonists from Resident Evil and Resident Evil 3 nemesis, Brad Vickers. Okay, great. I was wondering if he was the brother of D'Angelo Vickers, the uh, Will Ferrell character from The Office. Well, okay. Uh, So the question here is about a disgusting snack that we don't want anybody to know that we eat. Yeah, what kind of snack do you, what's your go-to snack for fight night? Garbage snack. Okay, if we're talking about real total garbage snack, I'm just going to go classic here. I'm going to hit you with this. Fritos, my man. Okay, yeah, that is a classic. You know, I mean, you you get yourself a, a fistful of Fritos, especially they're, they're, the shape is really great for dipping them in whatever, whatever you may have, whatever you can find in the fridge, or you can just eat them plain. And uh, you sit down, you think I'm going to have one or two Fritos. You're guaranteed to have at least 45, 50 Fritos and not feel that bad afterwards. Okay. So you see, this is a sign of maturity and experience on your part. That also, you are, you're going to go ahead and factor in. You're going to look down the road. You're going to look into the stomach of future Ben yeah. and say, how, how, what am I going to do? So I have a good time, but then future Ben also thanks me. Also, one of the things that I like about having them around as an available snack, because I've learned trying to keep some snacks hidden from your children is a fool's errand. They're going to find those, especially the older they get, the more capable they get of looking into every cabinet and and you can't just put stuff higher and higher up and expect it to do the job for you. The thing about Fritos is when I do inevitably have to let them have some, it, it doesn't leave a colored finger dust that I will then find all over my furniture because yeah. I've learned that lesson about Cheetos. You give them some Cheetos, you give them even some, some nacho cheese Doritos. And then it's like, you're going to see how many surfaces of your house they regularly touch because they're going to leave those fingerprints everywhere they go. I think I've already spoken on the podcast, how one of the unforeseen side effects of the pandemic is that my wife and I have really embraced Costco, uh, because they will just bring the groceries straight to your house. Uh, one of the few places in Missoula, Montana that will like to actually deliver your groceries. And so uh, we've gone full American, I guess is how you would describe our diet during the pandemic. And as such, one of the things that we started buying are these giant Costco sized family style sized boxes of drumsticks. Uh, you know, drumsticks pre- meaning the, the ice cream cone. Yes. They're like the pre-packaged ice cream cone. And so like lately during a fight night, I will tear into a drumstick, man. I will, uh, I will get my drumstick on, maybe maybe preface that with some chips and salsa, but uh the main event is the drumstick. Let's not let's not kid ourselves here. That's a that's a dangerous game you're playing. I know. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I ask myself, "Who are you, man? What has happened to Chad Dundas during the pandemic with his giant thing of drumstick? You should see the size of the mayonnaise jar we've got right now." <laughs> No, I shouldn't. It's grotesque, man. Anyway, that is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Rafael Dos Anjos emerged rightly with the hard-fought split decision victory over Paul Felder in the lightweight main event of UFC on ESPN Plus 41, aka UFC Fight Night 183 from down there at the Apex Arena in Las Vegas. So I don't want to take anything away from RDA and what he did in this fight, and I know we will have a chance to talk about him and maybe what could be next for him at 155 pounds in a minute. But the week of fight, fight, 
fight week, the week of fight week, that's redundant. Fight week was kind of all about Paul Felder, I should say, stepping in here on short notice, less than a week's notice to make weight and show up to have a five round main event against a former champion. And, uh, you know, we knew Paul Felder had been training for a triathlon, so we expected him to be in good shape. We didn't know exactly what his MMA training had been like. We didn't find out until after the fight. It sounds like kind of non-existent as it turns out that he hadn't really been in an MMA gym. He had just been doing cardio and hitting pads and stuff like that. Nonetheless, man, Paul Felder comes out in this thing, looks very sharp for the entire fight, very fast. Looks like he had slimmed down kind of considerably while training for this triathlon and, and like has a good performance, like an all around good performance that I got to think almost every UFC slash MMA fan looked at and felt good about for Paul Felder. And this seems like the kind of fight where we emerge now without anybody really having lost because despite the fact that that Paul Felder now has dropped two split decisions in a row to RDA and Dan Hooker respectively, I feel like if if you told me Paul Felder is about to fight in a few weeks, I'm marking my calendar for that, that I want to go watch Paul Felder fight again. I feel like everyone who came into this fight came out of it maybe having looked better and interested us more than before. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, I felt like one of the things that this fight really showed us just in general, before, during, and after, is that sometimes we kid ourselves by making this sport all about the wins and the losses, which obviously those matter. You got to win some fights if you're going to be a somebody in this sport, you know? Uh, we, We, but... The thing that Paul Felder did here was by agreeing to step in here on less than a week's notice, he made himself a story, you know, and not in the like attention grabbing way, but in just the like there's a narrative there that people are interested in. Uh, their imaginations can kind of sink into they, they want to pay attention to it. And then they suddenly have a reason to care because even some people who maybe when they heard it was just the original plan of Rafael Dos Anjos versus Islam Makachev might have been like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't really care. When you hear, okay, Paul Felder is going to go from the commentary table to the cage on five days notice, you go, well, all right, I would like to see how that turns out for him. It is a, a you created in my mind a story to which I need to find the conclusion. And that's something like that's probably more than half the battle in this sport right now. We talk all the time about how difficult it is for anybody to stand out when it's just one weekend after another and one seemingly interchangeable fight card after another. Just getting people's attention is such a a difficult thing. And Paul Felder did that here. And then he goes out there and acquits himself pretty well. he, He already has an action style. And so when he gets to have his way in the fight, it ends up being a little bit more of an action fight when it starts to slow down against the cage and with the takedowns is when it's Rafael Dos Anjos having his way in the fight. But still, Paul Felder goes out there, gets his face all cut up and then tells you how he's regained his passion for the sport. And if you missed weight, you better get your shit together. And you come out of that. And I find myself, at least sitting here on Monday, thinking more about Paul Felder on Saturday night than I am about Rafael Dos Anjos, who you know, not to take anything away from his victory, but people are going to look at it and be like, all right, well, hey, you went back to lightweight. You got your first win there in like five years, but you also won a decision over a guy who took it on five days notice and then afterwards admitted he hadn't set foot in an MMA gym in four months. So eh, not exactly like blowing anybody's minds uh, for Rafael Dos Anjos there. Meanwhile, Paul Felder comes out and we're going, you know what? I'm interested to see what Paul Felder does next. Yeah, if you buy into the idea that this was a gamble for Paul Felder, and I know you talked to him, during fight week and he essentially told you look i felt like i could ask for one thing from the ufc yeah uh essentially saying like either i could ask for a catch weight or i could ask for a bunch more money it sounds like he 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 got himself a contract that he's happy with he he made we can infer a good payday on this fight i don't know if there was a win bonus or just a flat fee but but we are left to assume that he feels good about the financial side of this bout and then he went out there made the weight as we talked about at the beginning of the show even though he indicated it maybe wasn't the funnest time in the world to do that uh, but then went out there and looked pretty good over the course of 
25 minutes. In fact, in, in the early going, I feel like Paul Felder, you know, made this thing very close. I don't necessarily know that it deserved to be a split decision. I feel like the face that Paul Felder made in the octagon when they announced it as such was kind of telling <laughs> where he was sort of like, Oh really? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> For real? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, like I feel like this was a good, I feel like Paul Felder's gamble paid off. If, if you indeed buy into the idea that, that like he was taking a chance here by stepping in on short notice against Rafael Dos Anjos at the, at the same time, by the same token feel like dos anjos uh had a very smart fight went out there and he fought the the way that he had to fight against a dangerous guy like paul felder who came in on short notice like you know definitely timed his takedowns put him in there up against the fence ground on him tried to make him tired uh you know the, the 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 exact kind of performance that you would need if you were rda here to get the decision win um, his first fight at lightweight in, in a number of years and kind of feeling like gets himself off the schneid a little bit here. Cause he was one in four at, at welterweight uh, coming into this fight. Most recently had lost to Michael Chiesa and Leon Edwards, also Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington on that list of recent losses. So a lot of uh, real respectable 170 pounders, but like, yeah, I, like I feel extremely interested to see what Paul Felder will do after this. And I also have to admit like, Rafael Dos Anjos rekindled my interest a little bit as well. Just like he just, he didn't have quite as exciting a fight as Paul Felder, but like, Hey man, I'm, I'm interested to see how far the former champion and now 36 year old Rafael Dos Anjos can go coming back to 155 pounds after this, uh, uh, you know, dalliance with welterweight. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we should spend a moment at least talking about the judging there because that. That is one of the weirder scorecards that I can remember in recent memory because it it doesn't change the outcome of the fight at all, thankfully. But when two the other two judges have it as a clean sweep, yep, all 50, five 45. rounds to one guy, and then you come back with a scorecard that has a three two the other direction, everybody should rightfully be looking at you and going, "What the fuck, man." Yeah. What explained yourself? And that's the thing that I think is missing right now in the way most athletic commissions deal with these judges, because I've talked before to Andy Foster in California about how he goes about trying to evaluate judges and looking at one of the things that he looks at is how often is that person on the wrong end of a split decision? Like they're the odd man out where two other people saw it a different way and you were the dissenting voice. And he feels like in those instances, especially if you see a bunch of them, you do need to go to the judge and be like, okay, explain your thinking here to me. So at least I need to hear something from the guy to show me that he's not just like a chicken scratching on the paper here, that he is actually thinking about these things and he has some kind of reasoning he can explain to you. And this is one where you really need to know what his thinking might've been because even in Felder's corner, you know, Duke Rufus is in his corner being like, hey, we need to finish. I'm not going to lie to you. We're, we're going to lose this one on the scorecards if it goes that far. And if even the guy's corner is telling him that and you come away thinking that that guy won, man, you you really do need to explain yourself. And the problem is it seems like what are the odds that it seems like the Nevada Commission is even going to do that? It's even going to ask the guy like, hey, give us your thoughts. Tell us what you were thinking. Like, are they even going to take five goddamn minutes on the phone with the guy to try to figure out what what was behind this card and what he thought he saw there? Or are they just going to be like, hey, these are our guys. We have a list of judges. We call up the people and see if they can work that night. And then if they can, then those are just the guys we go with. And we don't care because Chris Lee has been on the wrong end of a, a bunch of split decisions this year. And it seems like there's just no work being done there to evaluate judges and to see if we have the right people in those chairs. All right, let's go ahead and do. Are you fucking kidding me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, what's your, are you fucking kidding me this week? Well, Chad, uh, press release landed in the old inbox this morning. Mm-hmm. Former UFC heavyweight champion. And as he has noted here, MMA global superstar Fabricio Verdum has signed with PFL. Now, that is not my are you fucking kidding me, Chad? My are you fucking kidding me is that as I'm going through reading this press release that announces that Verdum is going to end up in PFL, I'm I'm shedding at least one single tear for the loss of the Fedor Emelianenko rematch over there in Bellator that I was hoping for, but fine. He's going to go over there, maybe stay busier in PFL, do some work over there. I can get interested in that. And then I read this quote from Peter Murray, CEO of PFL. Quote, 
I am excited to announce for BC Over Doom that Tom Brady of MMA has signed with the Professional Fighters League. Are you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? What? I don't even know how we mean that. This is an interesting time to be making that analogy. Is is PFL the Tampa Bay here? I don't. The Bucks. I don't get it. I, I'm just not sure what we're even saying. I'm not sure. Like, it's the kind of analogy that makes me wonder, does the CEO of PFL really wish that he was the general manager of an NFL team? Is that what he would really prefer? And he just kind of keeps bringing the conversation back there, consciously or unconsciously. Telling on himself. Tom Brady of MMA. Come on. Are you fucking kidding me? Gina Carano, what are you doing? Oh, boy. Ben, Gina Carano had accomplished the ultimate MMA dream retirement. She fought, she, she, she fought professionally a grand total of, what, eight times. She only really got beat up once. She retired at age 27 or 28, and she became an actress. And as we all know, Ben, she's been in some stinker straight-to-video movies. But... She has also been in some real movies. And now she's got a recurring role on The Mandalorian. Ben fucking Disney Plus, The Mouse. She's getting that Disney money for running around in a fucking Xena Warrior Princess costume, shooting blasters, putting fucking stuntmen in arm bars and shit. And she's out here trying to piss it away with her crazy ass social media posts. <laughs> It's the most MMA thing I can possibly think of, man. And yes, I am fully aware that Gina Carano has a First Amendment right to spew whatever kind of crazy conspiracy bullshit on Instagram or fucking parlor or wherever that she wants to. But along with that right comes the potential for consequences. And the moment that Disney or Jon Favreau decides that having her on the cast of The Mandalorian is just a little bit too much trouble, we're done. Cara Dune is going to fly off into space and get eaten by the fucking Sarlacc pit or whatever it is. And that is how we're going to wind up seeing a 39-year-old, 150-pound Gina Carano get absolutely brutalized by Chris Cyborg in Bellator. Oh, no. Something like that. By the oh. end of 2021. Are you are you fucking kidding me? You live the dream, Gina Carano. Do not fuck this up. Just play it cool, man. Are you fucking kidding me? But wouldn't there also be something weirdly satisfying about seeing an MMA person have to learn in real time that, hey, while you can get away with being a, a major shit heel in the MMA bubble because we got so many of them. And nobody's paying attention to anything any of us are even doing in here. You, you can do all that crazy shit inside the MMA bubble and nobody notices or cares and doesn't rise to the level of it, getting anybody's attention. But out in like the, the wider world, out in the Hollywood bubble, people do actually notice that and might get mad at you and do something about it and decide that while you have yourself a, a good recurring character, it is not an essential character. <laughs> we could move. I've, I've been watching The Mandalorian. We could move on without that character and not lose a whole lot. I don't know. There might be something that would just be perhaps even a useful cautionary tale. Yeah. Well, you know when she's going to figure out figure it out? It's when she's getting slammed on her head by Kayla Harrison when the two of them are fighting for the inaugural UFC women's lightweight title. That's you when just, she's going to figure it out. You just had to breathe that into existence, didn't you? <sighs> are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Chad, don't look now. I actually do look as in like last Thursday-ish. But the Bellator Featherweight Grand Prix kind of getting interesting, man. That shit heating up a little bit. We now have ourselves a final four set, a semifinals. You, you got AJ McKee, Darian Caldwell, and you got Pitbull Friere and Emmanuel Sanchez, a rematch there. All four of those guys have punched their ticket to the semifinal round. And you look at that lineup, you look at how we got here, and to me, 
it kind of seems like it justifies Scotty Coax's belief in the tournament as the thing that can make meaning in MMA where no meaning prior existed. Yeah. Also, it seems like, I don't know. I mean, if you're trying to make the point to a bunch of people that this pit bull dude can fight his damn ass off and maybe it seems like uh, the champ champ thing doesn't quite get it or you're just not breaking through. You're not being able to make the point the way you want. Having him uh, go through a tournament like this seems like it's helping to make that point, especially after he fought Pedro Carvalho there in the this last round last Thursday and just absolutely demolished him and made it look like it, it was no sweat for him. Yeah, and obviously in – in some ways, it's a little little bit of a throwback to uh, to what Bellator was about before Scotty Cox arrived. The uh, the tournament format there, but at the same time, like I said on Friday during the Power Hour, man, I feel like this is the kind of shit that we are constantly asking MMA promotions to do, and specifically constantly asking Bellator to do. And and in short, do awesome shit. And that's kind of what this is, man. This was a sixteen man tournament. When they first started it out, Bellator is running a 16 man featherweight Grand Prix. And at the moment, they are on pace to pull it off with minimal substitutions. I don't even know if they've had to make a substitution, man, during this thing. It seems like they're, they are on the verge of pulling off an awesome 16 man featherweight Grand Prix more or less on schedule, which is kind of like the white whale of MMA. And one of the things that we are asking of Bellator is to differentiate themselves in some way from the UFC to like do stuff that the UFC is not doing. So here we have this Grand Prix tournament. And I think you're exactly right. Like if you can get the guy who started with the title, Patricio Freire, into the finals and get a victory for him in this tournament, it's kind of a way of planting his flag as one of the elite featherweight slash lightweight fighters in the world. And that would be kind of huge for him uh, as an athlete. I also think it would be uh, very cool if you could get, I guess, either AJ McKee or Darian Caldwell into the finals of this thing would be awesome. But especially if it's AJ McKee, obviously the uh, young up and coming prospect, the son of Antonio McKee, like it would be huge for him as well to either get into the finals of this tournament or get a victory. And so I, I feel like it's so hard in the current landscape of this sport to either get anyone to notice anything that's happening outside the octagon or to get anyone to pay attention or validate the efforts of any kind of slightly second tier MMA promotion. And yet, despite the fact that it has been an up and down year for Bellator for a number of different reasons, they've kind of been knocked around like a pinball over there inside the Viacom family and and have wound up on several different platforms and as we close out the year it's looking like you know cbs sports will be their home for the for the immediate future but like they're pulling this shit off man and it's kind of awesome and several of the fights have been awesome and like it's a shame that we are so preoccupied with the ufc schedule that more people aren't giving the bellator grand prix a little bit of of props because as we said before you know a couple weeks ago especially during the pandemic, it's not as though the UFC and Bellator fight cards are all that different. They are, yeah. they are entirely comparable at this point. And like, I think it, it, Bellator deserves a moment where we just, we nod at the featherweight grand grand prix tournament and are kind of say, well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially like we were talking about before with the Paul Felder thing is like the, the challenge even more so for Bellator is just giving anybody a reason to care, giving us some kind of story or narrative or something about here's why these two guys fighting stripped to the waist in four ounce gloves is actually more important than all the other instances throughout any given week of guys doing the same exact thing. Here's why this one is actually worth a little bit more of your attention than just the, the constant background noise of somebody somewhere fighting at all times. And the tournament kind of does that for you. I mean, you got the the next one. You got the Darian Caldwell, AJ McKee fight coming up this Thursday, I believe. And we're back there at the, the Mohegan Sun, granddaddy of them all in Uncasville, right. Connecticut. Someone's going to be bound for the finals. That's right. And like you said, you look at that one and either way it goes, you have yourself an interesting finalist there. I mean, AJ McKee rolls in undefeated. Uh, but 
you you got two guys there where no matter what happens, you end up one way or another with a assuming you get through all these fights without having to make any substitutions or anything. You're on track to end up with a final fight between two people who just by the fact that they got there, we care. You know, like that, that is the story itself. And then if you end up, even if you end up the same place you basically started with, with Pitbull as your champion and he rolls all the way through the tournament, the legend of Pitbull grows as a result of doing this, you know, like putting that belt up and going through the entire tournament like this and just being able to look at me like, see this division? I took on the best of this division in tournament form and beat them all and I'm still the champion, still here standing. And that's a great way to to manufacture that kind of meaning, uh, but have it be legitimate, you know, like it's not like just a made up thing. Like it is a, a thing that you prove and created for yourself a series of interesting events in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Bellator's biggest challenge right now is messaging. Like they really need to figure out a way to advertise what they are doing in an intriguing way way to hardcore MMA fans who have already proven through their uh long like tenure their 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 the fact that they have stick they have stuck with the UFC <laughs> during these troubled times that they will watch people fight in a cage period no matter who it is like you need to get to those people some people probably will never give you the time of day if you are not the UFC but like get to the people who are interested telling that tell them what you're doing why it matters and where and when they can watch it that's to me is Bellator's biggest challenge right now because they're over there on Thursday nights on CBS Sports they've just kind of switched platforms they just switched nights of the week and I feel like they have a good opportunity to have to like to brand that Thursday night fights thing and to bring it to people's attention and say, here we are, come watch this. We are over here doing awesome stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that is the thing is to get that message out along with the when and where part. And then I'm telling you, I'm, I'm almost putting off getting myself into the habit of thinking Thursday night Bellator on CBS Sports because I know that as soon as I got it, as soon as it's just programmed into my brain as part of the weekly MMA lineup, that's when it'll change. It'll be like, we're on Paramount Plus now, Mondays at 4 p.m. Yeah. And I've Except said for every other Tuesday. I've said before, like, I feel like for Scott Coker, the, the real – goal for Bellator should be to just kind of be around doing awesome stuff, not necessarily taking enormous financial chances, but just sort of like trying to put out a solid and entertaining MMA program that finds these little ways to differentiate itself from what the UFC product is and just sort of be steady and constantly be there because, uh, you know, it's probably not going to catch the UFC anytime soon, especially if we are getting that ESPN money and we're, we're, uh, filling up everybody's mind brains constantly with UFC content. You're probably not going to overtake the UFC without some kind of weird uh, tectonic shift in the industry, but like just be around, just be good. Just keep doing what you're doing and keep doing good stuff and find a way to get that message out to the people. If you're, if you're Scott Coker, I feel like that, that should be your focus right now. And I think that they have an opportunity to do it. If they can just find a, uh, a consistent platform, a consistent time slot, and some consistent messaging. I feel like it would be uh, all those things would be good for Bellator right now. So you're saying that maybe if you were working in the Bellator offices, the thing you'd you'd write on the big whiteboard that everybody sees when they come into the office in the morning is just in giant block letters. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Don't fuck it up. Okay. Don't fuck it up. Be awesome. That would be the thing that I write under. In any case, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back. Round number three. Ben, Davey Figs, and Chevy Shanks are both putting their titles on the line this weekend at a numbered UFC pay-per-view event, UFC 255, men's flyweight title, Davis and Figueredo against Alex Perez, women's flyweight title, Valentina Shevchenko versus Jennifer Maya. Also, the return of Mike Perry on this card, digging on Tim Means, a replacement for Robbie Lawler, uh, 
Caitlin Chukagian and Cynthia Calvillo and Shogun Hua about to fight Paul Craig up in here. OBT dubs on the prelim card, the return of Joaquin Buckley, who recently obviously made his bones in MMA with his spin kick knockout a month or two ago. So you hit the highlights and it it sounds like UFC 255 is is somewhat worth watching, but you just look at this as a UFC pay-per-view card. And I think as we were uh, talking about via email before we recorded, like this is, this is one of the low profile ones. If you are out there uh, trying to pinch your pennies and save your 60 bucks, I can't see an argument really in favor of you uh, shelling out for this one. You probably want to save your money for uh, something a little higher profile than this. Yeah, I mean, especially because it feels like I don't know that there are too many people walking around right now going, I wish there were some MMA on TV. I'd pay for anything, (laughs) anything, just any two people punching each other in the face. I feel like I don't get enough chances to see it. I don't think that's happening. I think there's there's plenty to watch out there. And then if you look at this card and you go, what is the thing? that gets me to plunk down the credit card, assuming I am not just independently wealthy. What is the what is the real selling point here? Is it the chance to see Valentina Shevchenko merc another challenger? I don't know. You know, that's one where I feel like you could probably just wait and see the highlight on Twitter when she kicks somebody in the face and it's all over pretty quickly. Is it, well, I never miss a men's flyweight title fight? Because history would suggest that's not the case either. And especially when that fight is Davison Figueredo, who is an awesome fighter, but who people just haven't really had a chance yet, I think, to to get into or to really get it in their heads of, of him as champion and really think of that through. I mean, I think if you started going up to random MMA fans in a message board and started asking them to quick, without looking it up, name all the current UFC champions, the one who stands the greatest chance of being forgotten on that list is Davis and Figueredo. And then especially since it's now the backup plan of having him fight Alex Perez and not Cody Garbs, as was the original thing. There's just not a whole lot of star power driving you forward there. This would seem on paper, like you're headed for one of the lowest selling UFC pay-per-views in recent memory, right? Somewhere out there, there is a person whose thing is that they have never missed a flyweight title fight. <laughs> it's I like, mean, you graduate I guess I'm that the, person when you think about it, but it's like the kid who graduates from high school and gets the award for having never having missed a day <laughs> in their entire public education career. Somewhere out there, someone is like, never missed a men's 125 pound title fight. That's my shit right there. Well, and see, so you do have like some uh a couple other interesting things to bolster the lineup here, like like uh Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royal here. That that one seems like that's going to be an interesting flyaway fight, but that's on the prelims. You can get that just on watching ESPN. Like you mentioned, Joaquin Buckley, he's also on the prelims. I, don't, I mean, there was a time when maybe we've gotten we would have gotten a little more excited about Mike Perry versus Tim Means. However, yeah. that doesn't that time does not feel like now. No, man. Like it's impossible to have you can't have a no strings attached experience with Mike Perry right now. Just to Mike Perry has done too much bad stuff in our recent memory. And and the fact that the UFC hasn't really addressed it didn't make that any better. And like, again, it speaks to the UFC's tremendous power and uh, the depth of their roster that they can kind of go from Robbie Lawler to Tim Means and like in a bubble, in a vacuum, give you like two pretty exciting matchups there for Mike Perry. But at this point, I don't know how you watch that dude with and, and feel feel clean. Like, I don't know how you don't feel like you need to take a shower afterward. Yeah. Uh, also, I mean, you got one thing I'd appreciate is that it's almost a year to the day from their first, their, their, their fight that ended in a draw, a split draw that we get the rematch between Paul Craig and Shogun Hua. Yeah. One of these fights where it's like, the, nobody's exactly standing there like in the background, pounding on the tabletop being like, do it again, brother. Run it back. We got to see Paul Craig, Shogun Hua too. But the UFC says, you know what? We can't think of a better idea for either one of them. One year later, let's let's try it again. Yeah. Is it in uh, Valentina Shevchenko's contract at this point that if she's going to show up for a fight, she might as well bring Antonina with her? <laughs> 
she like might as well. They if put you're going to get a, me a fight, you got to get a fight, but get a fight for my sister too. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've, I've gone on that blind date before, haven't you? You know, bring a friend for my friend. And uh, there, you know, the Shevchenko sisters are going to do their open workout thing, right? Like, so as long as they both got to be there to do that, then you might as well have them both on the fight card. No, I hear you, man. I hear you. Especially, we're all worried about the COVID stuff. They're probably in each other's quarantine bubbles anyway. Yeah. You know, they, they can save money on flying coaches in and everything and just, just get them both done on the same card. Uh, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Let's go ahead and do uh, just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, I might be repeating myself here, but I'm just going to go ahead and reiterate that Chaos Williams does not need a second nickname. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This man's nickname is Chaos, Ben. Not what his mom named him. Real name, Kalen Williams. Kalen Chaos Williams. We don't have to be out here calling him the Ox Fighter or whatever his weird second nickname is. Man, your nickname is Chaos. That's awesome. You know it's awesome anytime a dude can just use his nickname as his first name. Yeah. Shades of Rampage Jackson here uh, in Chaos Williams. We don't we don't need the second nickname, man. If you're going to be going out here and starching dudes in 30 seconds every time we let you anywhere near the octagon and then BT dubs showing up at the post fight press conference looking like a million bucks. Yep. Did you see the outfit on Chaos Williams? You know, I saw it. That's that's how you get on Team Dundas. You can get on Team Dundas that way, man. Knock a guy out in 30 seconds and show up looking like you spent your entire fight purse on your sartorial choices for after the fight. I tell you what, that's the kind of suit you and I can't pull that off. You know? No, no, come on, man. I'm not out that's, here in the blue window pane with a no. canary yellow tie. Mm-mm, mm-mm. There's just no chance. That's why I appreciate it so much when somebody else can do it. You know what helps if you're going to put on an outfit like that? If your name is chaos, <laughs> that's what helps. And that's why we don't need to have two nicknames. I'm just saying, just saying it's like that scene in Rocky four where, uh, uh, Apollo comes out and they just keep reading off nicknames. Like he has like seven or eight nicknames. One of which I believe is the count of Monte Fisto. <laughs> okay. That's not bad. Yeah. But yeah, this week, my just saying stuff to start with, I'm going to read you a quote, a tweet. In fact, having sex in my living room and at us anti-doping comes pounding on my door at 8 PM. Best part, him trying to be all professional as I look him in the face, knowing this foo heard everything going down. Crying, laughing emoji. Been tested pre-slash-post-competition, but quote-unquote during is a first. Hashtag, you're all on steroids. Now, Chad, not to play an amateur edition of Master Tweet Theater here, but do you know who that was? Uh, well, the hashtag, you're all on steroids, I, I would guess it's Nate, Nate Diaz. Well, you, you, you're, it's Diaz adjacent. This was Yancey Medeiros. Okay. All right. Now, Yancey Medeiros giving us a, a harrowing story. Usually we hear about USADA uh, anti-doping collectors waking people up early in the damn morning at the crack of 8 a.m. sometimes, knocking on people's doors, waking them up, getting them all upset. He's going to go ahead and tell us about this guy interrupting some intimate times that he was having in his in his living room at 8 p.m. First of all, I appreciate absolutely everything about this tweet from its the concept to the execution to the individual word and emoji choice. It is I'm going to say perfect. It's a perfect tweet. Also, Chad, I'm just saying shit like this shit like this reminds you why the new indicator for whether your ass is really retired when you tell us you are is whether you go ahead and get out of that U.S. anti-doping pool. Yeah. Because if you're still in the USADA testing pool, knowing they might show up and interrupt you getting freaky in the living room, man, you're not putting up with that if you really know you're never going to fight again. And I'm just saying, also recently on the Twitters, you dude Khabib Nurmagomedov was talking about how many times he's been tested by USADA now. Just saying, sounds like he's still in the pool. You know what the sad part is, is that that USADA tester probably thought he was in for an easy night. 
He's like, man, 8 p.m. rolling out for an evening test. No big deal. I don't yeah. have to wake anybody up. Nobody's going to be mad at me. He's probably just going to be sitting there watching TV. This is going to be an easy one. Next thing you know, Yancey Medeiros, an angry Yancey Medeiros is coming to the to the door in only his boxers or yeah. something. And you know there's got to be a moment where – you roll up there, you think, yeah, uh, hey, they're always mad I'm waking him up early. I'll come by at night when he's probably just there playing Xbox. And the I imagine the fist poised on the door, ready to knock, and you hear what's going on inside, and you you pull back a little bit, and you go, wait, is there – should I – I said I was going to go, and I guess they're going to be wanting to know if I why I didn't show up on time. Do I – I don't – should I wait and, and see if I can hear when they finish? No, that's creepy. What if somebody sees me standing out here listening to these people have said, no, I got to knock. Damn it. I got to do it. Just imagine what's going through that guy's mind. That's nothing good, man. That's why they get paid the big bucks. Oh, wait, they probably actually don't get paid that well. So uh, that stinks for the USADA guy. Oh, and also for Yancey Medeiros, I guess, and his his sexual partner. Yeah. I mean, the sexual partner, there's there's very little attention paid to that person in this tweet. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week talking about all the stuff that happens at UFC 255. Don't forget, we'll be at the Patreon page all week this week doing fun stuff. The Wednesday live chat, the Thursday movie club episode about Weekend at Bernie's, and the Power Hour there on on Friday. So catch up with us there. Patreon.com slash co-main event. It's a lot of fun. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Let's not discount the possibility that uh, by the time the power hour rolls around, I could be dead from COVID. Well, I mean, that's morbid, man. I don't know why you would even bring that up. Now everyone's going to be rolling out of the CME on a down note. Let's just all, let's make our peace with that possibility. I mean, life is uncertain. Remember me as a hero. That's all I ask, Chad. Life is uncertain, man. I've been preparing for your death for a long time now. Good. I didn't know that it was going to quite go down this way, and I didn't anticipate such a disruption to our schedule. But uh, I won't, it's not going to be a, also. It's not going to catch me off guard. You just to prepare yourself for the eulogy you're going to give. You might want to start looking up synonyms for handsome right now, just to have them on hand. Now you better not actually die. Or Inspirational. Be, be very. It'll be too weird if you die after this. Now. <laughs> See, that's the goal. Now I can't die. I have to go yeah. on living. Yeah, good job. Well done.